Welcome, everybody, to another The Men in the Arena podcast episode. Looks like our mics are finally working, and hopefully it's not too loud for you guys. But today's guest is going to be Pat Harrington. He's a relief pitcher at Northeastern, and it's kind of full circle. He was listening in on the first podcast I ever did with a guest, and the first guest I ever had was Griffin Young, who was eating his... Uber Eats or DoorDash right now. Uh, they got five guys, and we're sitting in the Springfield Suites Inn in Wilmington, North Carolina. We just played UNCW, and they took two out of three. So kind of a, a somber feeling in the, in the Springfield Suites tonight, but Griff's planning will be the show to get back in action, and uh, he's playing with the Cape Cod Speedies. And that's all I got for the introduction, so I'll let, uh, I'll let Pat introduce himself, and we'll get going from there. Thanks, Jordy. Uh, happy to be on the pod, and I've been listening to a lot of them. I was able to sit in on the first one, so I'm excited to talk about this one. I'm ready to get after it. Yeah, this isn't written down for my questions, but do you have any expectations coming into this podcast? Are you looking to get anything get anything out of this? Are you looking to push any agendas, or what are you, what are you looking for coming into this podcast? Um, I mean, pushing agendas, uh, nothing nothing too much there, but I think it's been a great experience for us, you can both of us feel able Talk about baseball, talk about life, and just kind of get to know each other more. Just have a have a good conversation between both of us. First, first topic I want to get into is your high school uh, experience, your experience with high school baseball, your experience with high school athletics, lifting. Just I want you to take us through the high school experience of Pat Harrington. Yeah. Um, so I'm from. Small town in New Hampshire, uh, Bedford, New Hampshire. It's a small town, but we had a pretty big high school. So our sports teams were pretty competitive, which was great. I was able to be surrounded by a lot of my good friends. I grew up there my whole life. Um, but my high school experience was uh, was kind of underwhelming to start. I mean, I I was I played football and baseball and I skied. Um, so I did three different sports, but I wasn't great at any of them. I loved playing them all, um, but... Like, I was on the freshman football team, I was on the freshman baseball team, and then skiing was just kind of something we did. It wasn't, like, an overly competitive kind of thing. Um, and then from there, uh, I was on, like, JV my sophomore my sophomore year, got called up to varsity for playoffs, which I was able to, like, win a state championship in for baseball, which was a great experience. Uh, didn't step foot on the field. Uh, junior year, I was on the varsity team. I, I didn't really play too much. Um, at this point, I kind of just played baseball. And then I didn't play much junior year. And then senior year, uh, I, played a, I played a lot for that team. Um, that's really when I first made my real impact for the team. Um, so it was a very, very different experience for most college athletes, probably. But my high school experience was definitely, a, definitely not a ton of playing as you'd probably expect on a varsity level. Yeah, I think the most like interesting thing that I heard from you, and I actually figured this out the other day when I think you were talking to Coach Cobb about it, but I had no idea that you were a skier. Like for those that don't know, Pat, he's a he's a pretty physical guy. He's a he's a bigger dude, and he he lifts a shit ton. And we'll get into that later. But what like what made you get into skiing, and and how did you choose to to be on the ski team in high school? Yeah, so it was um, kind of my whole life. My 
family has been like a ski family. Like on the weekends in the winter, we would spend almost all of them like up north, uh, northern New Hampshire, skiing at different ski mountains. Um, so it was one sport that I've just been around and accustomed to my whole life. I think it's probably the first sport I ever started. Like when I was two years old, three years old, and my parents put like just ski boots and skis on me and pushed me down the hill in like my yard. Um, so I kind of screwed up my whole life just skiing. And then uh, by high school time, I like I'd skied like raced professionally or not professionally, um, competitively, um, just as like as like a thing to do here and there when we were on the mountain. Um, then high school, they had a team. Uh, a couple of my buddies did it, so we figured it was a good way to just see each other and then just do some skiing. So it was more of a casual type of sport compared to the others, but it was a lot of fun. Do you think skiing brought any form of athleticism or skill that you needed in baseball and the other sports? Um, I think, I mean, look, the obvious one that people probably think of is, like, when it comes to skiing, is probably, like, the leg strength in terms of what you need to, like, get down the mountain be able to like turn into the the bad snow or anything. So I think probably to a point that helped me just like gaining like stable legs and being able to like turn on like one or two feet probably helped. Um, athleticism maybe like maybe a little bit in terms of being able to like adjust quickly if you're going fast. But I think mostly it probably helps with just like always being on like your legs and always having that tension through your legs. Like all. What I'm trying to get at with like the skiing is. Because when I ski, if you're not aware of how your body's moving, you can get seriously injured. I'm, I'm glad I have not, knock on wood, have not been injured skiing, but you always need to know how your body is moving. And like the skis, obviously with a snowboard, it's different because you're on one piece and your body's connected, but your skis are not connected. So one could be going one way. You could hit a rut with one. Then the other one could be going the other way. You could hit a rut with another one. Like it, it's it's easy to get hurt if you're not aware how your body is moving and and where it's moving. Is that something that you kind of yeah help? yeah definitely talk about that. It's, that is a huge part. I think especially when you're on like foreign like snow or something, it, you can definitely put yourself at risk of injury because you can catch one edge and then at the time you you catch one edge, your your other ski is going the other way, and then you're just you're losing both skis and you're rolling down. Yeah. Down. Yeah. So the word was proprioception. So I, I think I was on that. And it's just the perception or awareness of the position and the movement of the body. So like it, it's improving your balance, which makes sense skiing wise. Uh, and I also know that you were a catcher. You like we we were throwing partners in the fall and most of the winter. And like you enjoyed catching. I think you enjoyed catching flat grounds and, and you were good at it, too. So. Is that something that you've always played since youth baseball? And do you think, I mean, this is kind of a two-part question, but do you think being a catcher enabled you to be a better pitcher because you saw it from the other side? Yeah. I mean, let's start, start off the first question. Catching the flat ground is always, always a great time, especially when I'm catching from you, Jordy, because yeah, I know you're hitting every spot every time, so making that it easy. Griff, on the other hand, is... It's fun to catch, but it's a lot harder because there's a lot of run and there's a lot of tail. So it can, it can thumb you up. But um, going off the, the catching every every day or when I was younger, I think I was a catcher my basically my whole life when I was younger. Like my travel ball teams, I was always a catcher um, ever since I was probably 10 or 11. I always liked being that, 
that catcher, I think my dad kind of pushed it on me because he was a catcher when he was younger, and then he always wanted me to, like, stay active in the game, and that's typical, like, just stay active. He always wants to, like, probably see your kid play um, and be involved. Um, so I was a catcher my, my whole life, really. Um, and then as I made that transition to pitching, I think it probably helped definitely in the beginning of, like, understanding, like, pitch calling, understanding, like, like really how an at-bat worked from the other side, not just from hitting. Because I think when you feel like in the infielder or as a, like, outfielder, you can kind of get lost in the, um, like, the art of, like, what actually happens from, like, a pitching and catching perspective. So I think picking up pitching late, um, I definitely was at an advantage, like, being a catcher because I knew, I knew how it worked from the offensive side. Yeah, and, like, one thing that I don't know if this is because you were a catcher, like, do you think you're – arm action now as a pitcher has anything to do with how you how you pitch or how you threw as a catcher like I know you don't have the longest arm action ever but it's not like the shortest either it's kind of like an in-between do you think that kept like catching had something to do with that or is that something that you specifically um worked on when you began pitching um, I think it definitely, it definitely like influenced it to some point because, like you said, like my arm action isn't overly tight or overly long, but I think um, it's definitely a result of like just being like, like a quick release kind of idea. I know Coach uh, Coach Cobb is always on me sometimes about being too quick about like getting my arm off because I I try and rush it, which is probably a result of all the times catching having to try and get quick hands. Um, but I think it's maybe not impact my arm action as much, but I think probably my like my release angle because as I'm, as you know I'm more of like a upper like three quarter slot. So as a catcher, it's usually where you're going to release it from when you're standing up to snap the ball down a second. So I think that was probably the biggest influence, and then the arm action probably came um, a little bit as well. Yeah, and kind of shifting topics a little bit, but. How, how did the weight room, like, affect you in baseball and other sports? Because I know we talked that you played football, so obviously the weight room is a, a big um, benefit to every single, every single football player because you need to be strong and you need to be um, powerful and explosive. And in baseball, like, in my journey, I was late to the party in and lifting, I really didn't lift until, like, senior year of high school. So were you started, like, did you get started on lifting and introduced early? Was that something that was late? And kind of how did that unfold and help you in your baseball journey? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, football is definitely a huge physical sport. You need to be physically strong to just, like, survive in the sport. And I think that's, that's kind of why I stopped playing it's because my, in high school I was not, I was very, very, like, frail and tiny, um, and I've luckily gotten a little bit stronger and, and heavier since then, but I know um, I got introduced to, like, working out probably when I was, like, 14, no, probably, like, 12 or 13, like, just body weight stuff, like, my parents were like, hey, like, make sure, like, do your push-ups, do your sit-ups, like, you want to be strong, um, and I would, like, I would, I would do them, but nothing, like, regimented or, like, religiously or anything, um, but I had an awareness of what to do. Um, freshman year of high school, I we had like uh, a team list for football, and I would do that, and that would be about it. I would probably put in the least amount of effort. 
possible, being like any kid who just wanted to get something done, was. I didn't really get serious on it until probably junior year of high school when I, like, realized, like, how, like, undersized and underweight I was to be, like, prospective college athlete. Um, and from there, I, like, I just made a, a pact to myself to, like, just work out every day. Like, our main goals right now are just to, like, get stronger. Like, we have to gain weight, we have to get stronger. Like, those are the two tasks I had to do to be able to put myself in a, a good position to even play at any level of college baseball. So. Yeah, and we had, a, like, similar New Hampshire and Vermont. Like, Griff is also from New Hampshire. Um, but Vermont and New Hampshire, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it. New Hampshire does have better baseball, but it's not like this crazy difference. Like we're both in an area where we're not thought of as baseball states. Like every once in a while there'll be good, good kids to come out, but we're not thought of as a baseball state in New Hampshire, Vermont. And there's very little exposure in, I mean, I don't know. You're from Bedford. So it was a bigger, you're from Bedford, right? Yeah. It was a, it was a bigger town and, say Woodstock, but it's still not like this crazy place where scouts are coming to see baseball games and college coaches are seeing baseball games. I know you did have a teammate drafted, but like I'd like to say that's an exception. I don't know if that's happening every 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 day in, in Bedford, but um, I just want to know your recruiting process and how you were able to go from a small town, maybe not known for baseball, and, and still make your way out. Yeah, um, yeah, I definitely agree. New Hampshire is there. I think there is good baseball, but it's it's few and far between. Sometimes, like there are some very good teams you'll always face, uh, but then you can face some that aren't aren't as good, and that's just the reality of the state. It's small state, small population. Um, I like even my my high school was like known for baseball in our state at least, but we only had. We had two college-bound players in my class. We had a couple below, so it wasn't like our entire lineup was stacked with like Division One players or anything like that. Um, but the recruiting process for me, I mean, being from New Hampshire, and uh, it's it's tougher, um, definitely. And I wasn't on like any elite travel team or anything. So my biggest thing was like this one. Like I went to a few showcases where like. I thought I was going to like get good exposure and it was like, I probably like could have, but maybe I wasn't, wasn't as good as the other players. So I didn't get, I didn't get any offers from any, like a lot of the big camps that people go to. Um, I really only got interest from this one, uh, this one like showcase game. And it was a New Hampshire, like high school athlete showcase that I ended up going to. It was like of all the showcases people pay for. This one was free. So like, I'm, like, it was a tryout. I made the I made the team, um, and then from there I went to the game. Did well in the game. I went like two for two, and then I pitched like two or three like shutout innings. Um, and then that's really where all my interest stemmed from. I mean, it was all it was all Division three off. It was all Division three interest, and then I think a couple of Division two interests, and only one really uh, came to fruition from that. But like that was that was where I got all of my exposure from was that one camp really. Yeah, so I think I forgot to mention that um, Tanat is at Northeastern now. I, I did mention that, but he was a transfer from Assumption. So <clears> Tanat <throat> and I never played each other when he was at Assumption, but my freshman year at SNHU, we did play Assumption. I actually don't remember how it went. 
Um, I think we played at SMHU, but I'm assuming assuming we beat him. Um, but yeah, so he, he's a D2 guy as well, but he stayed there all four years of, of his D2 career. And uh, like on the topic of the showcase, like that was the <clears throat> one showcase that I really got my uh, college interest to. It was like, it was called the Vermont Junior Showcase or right, like something along those lines at Castleton and it was like $25. Like it wasn't this huge showcase that so many teams were going to. Did you play, you played Legion during the summers? Or, I know you played Griff and you can talk about that too, but talk about your Legion experiences. Yeah. So I played on like some, I played on a travel team, but it wasn't any, it was more of like a, it was just like a club team, nothing. It was like competitive, but nothing to the point of like college college players on my team really um but then by that by my senior year of high school i'd aged out of that league so i didn't have anything uh, to do so i ended up playing legion ball for my senior year going into my freshman year of college and funny enough i i uh we did end up playing griffin we looked back at that a couple weeks ago because we I, I had one outing against his his legion team and i, I remember i gave up a few runs and then we went back to the box score, and Griffin was on the team. We don't know what what our head-to-head matchup was, but if he got up in the last inning, there's a good chance he got on and probably got a hit because I gave a lot of runs then. Yeah, but, I didn't know Griff was that good of a hitter. I mean, we took BP once, but I, I don't really remember his his uh, his stroke. I remember you like when we took pitcher BP, you hit some outs, so and you, you clearly had some pop. Did you have any home runs in high school? Or? <laughs> No, I I had my last home run was when I was twelve. Yeah, same. On the small field. Actually, I hit one like in middle school, but I never hit one in high school. I always I always thought I was this power hitter, um, that had no power. So I would swing really hard and not it wouldn't go anywhere. I would do a lot of strikeouts, so I was not a great hitter. That's right. That's why you're a pitcher now. And and something that I am actually very interested in is like your velocity progression so for those that don't know pat he throws pretty hard he's usually probably 92 93 94 top 96 i believe maybe even a seven um maybe even an eight i'm not really sure but um i just want to know about your progression throughout college and high school yeah um and i mean in high school there was not a lot of velocity um as I said, I was, I was pretty undersized my whole high school career. I think I, I remember one video. So junior, I have no idea. I might have been might have been like eighty or so. Um, but I know my senior year fall, like right before I was getting recruited, uh, like that fall before everyone commits. Um, I had this one video on like a, my prospects. Like I had, like, there's a Twitter Twitter video of like a prospect video of me, and it was like Patrick Harrington, right-handed pitcher. 80 to 82 with a good curveball. But it was like a video of me throwing a religious curveball all the time. And so I was about 80 82 my senior year, beginning of um, beginning of the year. I think from there I gained like, I gained probably 15 pounds in that, that senior year going into the spring. So I'm sure I gained velocity. I was probably like, I was probably realistically like 83 to 84 um, my senior year spring, uh, which is still, it was good for high school. I mean, I was able to strike a lot of guys out with velocity at that at that age um but then i got to got to assumption my freshman year and out of nowhere 
I'm gonna find like a bullpen or something in the fall, and I hit one random 88. It was like a, I remember the pitch. It was it was a high and arm side uh, fastball as I so normally do. Um, that probably almost went behind the catcher, and our like coach was on the gun, and he like looked at it and was like, he was like, I mean, I like the velocity, but that was just nowhere near a strike. And I was like, I didn't know at the time, but I was like, yeah, sounds like I was throwing hard. And then I heard that I hit the 88 and I was like, Oh my God, like way harder than I've ever done in my life. But by the time the spring started, I mean, you settle into your normal velocity. I was probably like, I probably sat around 85 to 86 the whole time. Um, that summer, I think I hit my first 90 on probably another high arm side fastball. Yeah. Um, was probably there for it actually since in the summer. Um, he probably saw it. Uh, that gun also that I was basing off of was probably pretty hot. Oh, is this Nashua? Yeah, this was in Nashua. So it's probably like 87. Um, and then from there, I just, I kept on with like, I started a weighted ball program my sophomore year a lot to try and gain velocity. And I think it's, I was probably sat up to like 88, maybe 89. Probably hit like a 91 or so. Uh, maybe like 90. By the summer of that year, I probably, I think I got up to 93. Um, so it was COVID summer, so we like were shut down forever. So our arms were healthy by the time by the time our um, uh, the season started. Um, and then junior year, I like I think I hit my first like ninety four, and then from there it's kind of it's gone up like one one or two since that like one year. Um, so in a couple of years, it'll be a hundred. Huh. I mean that would be that'd be awesome if I was still throwing in a couple of years. Um, and yeah, that would be, that'd be a good goal to have. Perfect. Well, we'll check back in in a couple of years when you turn 100. Uh, yeah, that kind of brings me to like, like those, like seeing that progression of velocity just go up and up. I think as as kids like, or if there are high schoolers listening, it's easy for them to be like, oh, so he just like continued to progress up and up. But there there were definitely struggles, like, even though you were gaining velocity, like, we're all chasing velocity, obviously, like, in order for me to get signed or to be looked at, I need to hit a certain velocity so the scouts are interested, and and I haven't hit that velocity yet, and I think that, that like, that look from from younger kids, like, the, the belief in their head that they need to hit this certain number is, is evident in today's baseball like youth baseball and high school baseball so even though your velocity was increasing were you still struggling and was there a time where maybe velocity wasn't everything yeah um there were definitely a lot of times that i was struggling um and i i think i try to be, i try to be the first guy to say that velocity doesn't really matter that much you can you can have all the velocity you want and you can still get barreled all the time. Like you, you see it you see it in the majors, you see it even when you're like thirteen, you see a kid throwing really hard and kids are just hitting him. Like it at the end of the day it's it's a tool, it's definitely a good tool to have, but if you're just like one kid chasing like I'm trying to throw ninety or I'm trying to throw ninety five and that's gonna be like the difference between being like an average pitcher and being elite, that's not gonna be the thing that's really gonna get you there if you're if you don't have like good stuff or you don't know how to get people out. And even with like velocity itself, it's, it's a hard game to play because you, every outing you have is way different than, than the other ones. Like you can have some days where 
you're like feeling it and you think you're throwing hard and then you're not and then some days where you're like oh my arm feels terrible and it's just it's coming out so it's not it's not anything i'm going to really stress about um and then i know like we go i remember every like off season into spring there's always like different phases that me and griff definitely joke about but are pretty real in terms of there's always like a there's peaks and valleys of how your arm's feeling and the velocity like beginning of the winter i mean everyone's throwing hard and you're in that you're in that feeling where like wow yeah I'm, i throw hard and then you hit like a couple week old where um you're like you're like wow i'm not i'm not a guy who throws hard anymore and then it just goes up and down and if you can just stay stay neutral that whole time and know know just who you are as a pitcher i think is probably the best the best thing for success long term yeah i think i think that we all want velocity, like I'm still chasing velocity, but I think the way you go about it, the bigger issue, if you're looking to gain two, like three miles an hour in a week, like that can happen, and I'm, and I'm sure it does, and I hope it happens, but for everybody, that's not how it's going to happen. For, In my opinion, for the most part, it's going to be a slower, like sustainable progression, and it's going to come from like the choices you make like daily, like the weightlifting, the, the sprinting, the shoulder strength and everything that comes along with pitching. It's not just this one magical potion mechanic move that's going to make you throw 95. And I think it's easy on like Instagram or Twitter today to see any social media, to see the accounts tweeting, Oh, look what I did. Like I made this guy throw five miles an hour in two months. It's like, that's, that's great. But is that happening for the majority of the kids? Maybe that kid is like six, five and, and, he actually had no idea how to throw a baseball in an office. So, like, I think that some of it's deceiving. I, I think that if you can throw 10 miles an hour harder in two months, then that's fucking great. Like, I hope you do. I hope everybody throws 10 miles an hour harder in two months. But for the majority of the people that I've talked with through college baseball, like, that's, that's just not how it happens. It's a slower progression like yours. Like, you just get stronger and stronger, and you have better feel for your mechanics. You have better feel for your body, and then it all comes together. Like, I feel like that is is – the more sustainable route to take. I don't know if you have any comments on that or thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, I think a lot of people look for, like you said on Instagram and everything, they see like one, one program that's like the, Hey, he followed this program and now he throws 95 and everyone looks for that, the like quick thing that can just, you know, get this one change. They're like, Oh, where am I like losing out on the six miles an hour velocity in my delivery? It's like, no, you probably just don't have that right now. So you just gotta, if you're able to just stay to one process that you know that you know works for you and you see pro, like improvements with it, it's just to stay with that and not just go jumping from one thing to the other. So I think that's where that's where you see stagnation. You don't see your, your real growth that you can have. Yeah, I mean that, this is more. It is a, a pitching like concept and a, and a baseball concept, but in life in general. This, this meaning and concept also plays in that aspect too. Like life is, I think sometimes when I talk about baseball and life, I actually get it wrong because I forget that baseball is a part of life. Like I, I always say, baseball and life as like two separate entity, like two separate entities. But really, the the big overarching thing is life. And then baseball is inside that. So like all these concepts and 
themes that we're talking about right now can also be put into effect in actual steps in your life. So like you were saying, the process and, and seeing progress little by little, that plays in life too with if you're writing a book or if you're trying to get a job or if you're like whatever goal you have in life, like that process can be put in, in to your life. And, and I, I kind of want your take on in life in general, because you were we were talking about the social media posts, like or there's always going to be a program to follow, like to, to get this thing really quick. Like what are what are your thoughts or maybe some other spots in life where that comes into play, like a, a program where it's like, oh, you want to be rich? Like here, three way, like you know what I mean? Like that kind of anti. Like I'm talking about quick fixes. So any any spots in life that you think that people might not be aware, like because I wasn't aware of this stuff until like senior year of college. Like it took me a while to actually figure out what was going on with this social media and how these marketers were playing towards what I wanted to see and what I wanted to hear. So could you maybe talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not overly skilled in like the the marketing aspect, but I think even like you, you mentioned it greatly. Um, being able to just like relate, like that one topic we were talking about to life. Like um, everyone, like I mean, everyone wants that quick fix. Like it's it's enticing, and you're like, you're like, it's easy. Like if it works for this kid, it can work for me. Um, which I, I guess can be true, but in most cases, probably nearly every case, um, it's probably not gonna be true. Like you have to, you have to just put the the hard work in front of it and just keep on going because even in that social media post that one showcase athlete that they show there are like 70 probably in the background that either are still working on their process or it didn't work out for them um which aren't shown so they only show the success i know we talked about that one time talking about different athletes and their showcases and you they only show you the highlights because that's that's what's marketable um but i think in terms of like different like different aspects like one the biggest one that I can take in is when it comes to like academics because being like being a younger kid the only really two things you have like going on is I have baseball and then I have school and I think it's, you can you can translate them pretty uh pretty linearly um, so in terms of like oh I like I wanted to throw harder so I wanted to or I wanted to be a better pitcher so I wanted to like I knew what I had to do I had to work out I had to do my mobility I had to throw and then I followed that and then you become better. And then that's same with, um, like academically, like I, in high school, I was not, it's not a great student. Um, I was, I was pretty lazy. Uh, I didn't really like, I thought I was naturally smart. Um, which I, I am probably to an average intellect, um, probably like an average student. Um, but I got to the end of high school and I was like, we have to like, we have to make a change here. Like, I don't, I don't want to be that kid who's like just battling to get like a B in a class or something. So then I was like, all right, if I can just translate the same idea I have to be a better baseball player to a good student, um, then hopefully it'll be like the same type of results. And I was able to see the success a little bit in high school when I made the change. And then I was able to just hit the ground running with that idea in college. And in undergrad, I had, I had a good academic career, which was nice. So I was able to, I was able to see like the success from just like just doing the hard work, which no one obviously wants to do. No one wants to like study. It's not, it's not fun. It's usually like mundane, but it's, it's just something you have to do, which is, which is, uh, which is one, one lesson you have to learn. You get to like try.
Yeah, I think, I don't think I know that part of those little things and being able to repeat those small tasks and like you said, the things that maybe aren't the most fun, but they're going to lead to the, they're going to yield the greatest results. A big value or big core value that you, that at least I've seen from you. I don't know if this is a core value in your life. I feel like it, it shows that it is, if it is, but like discipline. And I just wanted to talk about discipline and, and, and kind of how that relates to, to baseball and life, because to me, like discipline is when I look it up, it's, it's, it was something about, there's a couple different definitions, but one of the definitions was like um, instilling a behavior in somebody. And to me, the discipline in my mind is not somebody like this, like putting something into you, but rather yourself, like being just in control of yourself and maybe making the decisions that are going to affect you in the future positively as opposed to the present positively. So like all those actions that you take today are going to lead to the things that you want in the future rather than the actions that you take today leading to like your happiness and results right now. So it's kind of like putting your results into the future and, and by putting them into the future and stacking it day by day and not getting that result right away, the result in the future is so much greater than that result that's actually right there in the present. So maybe you could talk a little bit about discipline and how you view discipline and how it helps you in your day-to-day life. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to be, you know, I try to just have a, have a good routine and know what I have to do every day, um, which is definitely part of discipline. But like, I think the way you talked about it, just having that, like, the delayed gratification of, like, I know, like, I know today, like, hey, maybe I don't want to go to the gym. Like, I feel, I feel bad. Like, maybe, like, I'm a little sore or I'm just not feeling it today. Like, I woke up, I'm still tired. Um, and some days you do have to take off. But, uh, like, when it's a day where you, like, I have a lift today or I have to throw today. Yeah. Um, I think it's being able to, like, put it aside and be like, hey, like, it may not be mentally there or i might not really want to do it but just being able to just put it to the side and be like hey we have to do this work and then let's just lock in for an hour or two hours and then we'll be okay um i think you're you're definitely the same way um it was like easy to see from even before we got on campus um it's just like being able to just really like put the work ahead and know what you have to do day by day to try and get to where you want to go and then both baseball and academically or professionally um is just one thing I've, I've been trying to work on and you know you always have to constantly work on it and just try and stay stay with the routine every day and just attack yeah the, the biggest struggle that i've had or i also think one of the biggest misconceptions that people that meet me or see me have and i'm sure that you have these things too but whenever i'm I'm doing something or a younger, younger, I'd say teammate would come up to me or maybe somebody who has seen me in, in the gym at my high school gym, like all these high school kids look up to me, but they haven't really interacted with me. And I think that like a misconception that they see is that I'm this like perfect human being or that like, it's not hard for me. And I, I've always had this within me, but like, I think what I'm looking to talk to you about is if you've had struggles with this kind of thing in your life, because I, 
or if you believe that people can like build these habits and, and these changes, because like you, I was a very, I was not even just like an okay student in high school. I was a pretty bad high school student. And, and I had to change that going into SNHU. And that uh, actually was part of the reason why I left SNHU, SNHU was to better myself and, and have a better spot um, for me in case baseball didn't work out. And not saying that I didn't transfer also because of baseball, because I was failing at SNHU and, and I transferred partly because of that too. Um, but I, like, I haven't always been this, like, great mentality, great mindset guy. And I'm still not like every day I'm still working on this. And I even like talked about this in a podcast. Like when, when you came in, like, um, you know, you lift a lot of weight and you're bigger than me. And, and I like every day in workout would be like, damn, like, I'm not, am I doing something wrong? I'm not lifting that much weight. Like, why am I not as strong? You know what I mean? And we're in like different, I didn't realize it then or I started to realize it as I worked on my mentality, but like we're in different parts of our journey and like comparison is not going to get me anywhere by focusing on what you're doing. I got to focus on what I'm doing and what I need to do to be better. But I wanted to know if you've had struggles with mentality and how you've overcome that. And, and and yeah. And and if you think that there's a misconception that as college baseball players, we're just, we're just all, we have it all figured out. Yeah. I mean, Especially with the comparison part, it's like, I mean, I think everybody struggles with that. I mean, especially going into like any new place, like there's so much comparison because you don't know, you don't know what you're going to get into. You don't really know what's going to happen. Like I came here and like my whole identity when I was at Assumption was I was like the strong kid on campus. Like I didn't really have, I didn't really have too many people like challenging me in terms of numbers. So it was like, it was easy to just like, no, like that's who I was, and then I came here, and I mean we're at a, a great program. Like kids are really competitive, kids are in great shape, and and everything. So I went from being like the kid who's like, the strongest, the fastest, like like a lot, like the top of probably like every metric we had, to coming here, and I was like, I I still had good numbers, but I wasn't dominating everything, and I was like, it was like a little bit of an identity crisis because I was like, I was like I thought I was that type of person. Um, but I mean, it's just what happens when you go to a different, different place. And I told, I told the coach when, when I was committed here, when I was committing here, like that's exactly what I wanted. So I, that I was honestly a huge, um, like motivation check that I had because I had to like check myself and be like, yeah, like I can say all the stuff that I want. Um, but once it actually like push comes to shove and you're in the middle of it, like, is this what you want? And I like had to tell myself like, Hey, this is what you signed up for. Like you, you told the coach day one, like you wanted to come into a competitive program and you want to compete every single day. So here it is. Um, you can't just expect to like be the best at everything. Um, so, I mean, in terms of like, like comparison, that was huge. Um, once it came to like my mentality, um, it's, I mean, you know, like you're a very disciplined kid, but it is hard to stay motivated all the time especially in terms of like, like during failure, like I remember like we'd have times we struggled a couple times together in the winter and we would both ride the bike together. And I think that was probably the best, the best thing to do just to like help, like just be with each other and know, Hey, like it, it might have sucked, but it's over now. Like we got, we still have work to do. Like it's not over yet. Like 
the end result hasn't happened. We still have a long time. Um, so I think we were able to like keep each other definitely on the same path, but it, it is hard. It is hard to do, especially with failure and even with success because success, you can feel like you can get complacent because you feel like you're on the top. Um, and then that, when you're at the bottom, you're like, there's no hope. So I think just trying to stay neutral all the time and know that nothing's ever too big or too low as you, as you initially think when it happens. Yeah. I just hearing that and, and thinking about that, I actually have like a couple, not a couple questions, but a couple tips. So like one thing for people that are maybe struggling with failure, like one thing to get through failure, like you obviously just have to learn how that you're going to fail and you have to be better at failing. You have to learn from it instead of just being pissed off and sad about it. But the other thing is failure is a little bit easier when you have like a better inner circle. So for me, like I, I was always somebody who I wouldn't say I was popular in high school, but I had like I was friendly with everybody. And, and I wouldn't say I had like, I had very few close friends, but the, the biggest thing that I've seen from being in college and, and being on this Northeastern team with the culture that we have is just being able to, to have somebody there that's like, if you fail, they're going to pick you up. If they fail, you're going to, or what I say, if, if they fail, you're going to pick them up. If you fail, they're going to pick you up. And just making sure that that circle around you is the right circle because there can be fake people. Like there can be people who are like, yeah, bro, I got you. Like I'm with you. And then when you're in the trenches, when you're biking after those bad starts or those bad outings, they're not with you. They're at home doing whatever they want to do. They're not actually there with you. Um, I mean, we did bike for a couple reasons. I won't talk about a few of them, but um, we'll move on. And the other, the other thing that I was thinking of while you were talking is – Life has a way of making you prove what you say. That's how I, that's how I say it. it is like like you said, you can talk about these things. Like in my mind, I talk about like, oh, I'm ready to go. Like in the ninth inning, I'm not going to have any issues. Like I'm going to lift all this weight. Like I'm going to do all this stuff. And like you were saying, like when you say it, it'll present itself and, and life will give you, the universe will give you an opportunity to, to let that, let that, thought that was spoken come into existence and come to fruition so you can say all you want in in like you call it the vacuum you could say anything like you could say i'm gonna go talk to this girl or i'm gonna go do this but when the moment arises and you're shitting your pants like scared you can either run or or go to it and prove to yourself in the universe that you were serious about what you said and like one thing that i found is when you do it and you prove Everything you say, it's it's like a, a way to level up. Like every every hard challenge that you speak into existence or say you want something and then it's presented, every time you get it, it's just another level that you're going up and up and up and up and you're just getting more more good and more good and more good and and everything that's coming into your life is just just um, a different a different frequency. Like it's you're growing as a person and not only like physically but spiritually and like. Uh, yeah, spiritually as well. I think definitely off that point, you said, you know, when you like when you speak things into existence and then like that event occurs, um, and then if you succeed or or if you fail, but if you succeed at it and you level up, um, I think the biggest thing is like you level up, like you get better at at doing that, but it doesn't make it doesn't make that objective any easier. Like it's still gonna be 
tough. Like every time you step foot on the mound in the ninth inning, it's it's not it's not going to be an easy one two three. It might be, but yeah. you're not just going to roll out of bed and just throw a one two three. You, you got to be there every single time. Yeah, and I I'm glad you t- we touched on this because this brings me into something that I want to talk about too. Like again, when these I, I, like I started this podcast so that obviously I can get close to my teammates and people could see inside like what a college baseball team looks like and how we interact or how we talk and how we think. But these younger kids, especially, I guess I'm, I'm saying from my perspective, when I was a younger kid, I thought that these kids were like, like college baseball players and college athletes were bulletproof. They were a different breed. Like they didn't have these thoughts and feelings. Like they were uh, superhuman. They were different than everyone else. But I've learned like becoming a baseball player and becoming a college athlete that these emotions these thoughts aren't it's the same emotions and thoughts that every other human being has we just respond to them differently and like with with confidence i used to think that when everyone took them out they just they had the full like most full i don't know if that's the correct grammar but they had the fullest confidence ever and there was no doubt in their mind that they weren't going to just dominate but I know you struggle with confidence a little bit earlier in the season, and that like that happens with everybody, and that just shows that college baseball players and, and are, are people. Like we're we're people too. Like we're humans, and it's not we we're not these crazy like robots that just don't feel emotion. Like we we just have to figure out a way to take those emotions and thoughts and make them beneficial towards our goals. So I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit and how you overcame. Um, your little dip in confidence. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, yeah. Confidence is something that's probably the biggest. It's probably the biggest like factor that forms in success of especially baseball players, just because of how individual the sport is, whether it's batting or pitching. Um, but I think the biggest thing was like, especially this year with confidence. Like, you know, I came in, I didn't really throw in the fall, and I think just coming in uh, in the spring and throwing. And then struggling a little bit early, um, it gave me like a little bit of like, just that thought of like, wow, like, do I, like, do I belong here? Like, I don't, I don't know. I've never played at a division one level. Um, we're, we're a really good hitting team. We're a good team overall. Like every practice is very competitive. So uh, there's a couple of times where I just didn't, didn't like throw as well as I wanted to, or as well as I thought I could have. Um, and then after that, maybe like it piles up and then you like, it really wears on you. Um, so I think just having that and then I'm being able to talk to you a little bit about it. So being able to like take a step back and just like really like think like, all right, let's just, the biggest thing I had was like, all right, let's just bring one, like one good throwing session together. Like, let's just, let's hit our spots. It's like, let's end like happy that we had a good day. Um, and then I had, I was fortunate I had, I had that and then I was like, all right, like then. From there, I was like, all right, let's have a good practice. Like, we have PFPs. Like, let's make every PFP. Um, and after that, I was, like, celebrating the smaller things. Um, definitely helped a lot. So then after, like, that one practice, I was like, all right, let's have a good bullpen. Like, let's not get, like, frustrated after, like, two bad pitches. Like, finish through the whole bullpen. Make sure, like, we finish well and, like, be happy with, like, like the success we had in it. And then take that into a live and then take that into a game. Um, so it's, it was definitely over like a couple, like a week or two process, um, of just like very, being like very, like, like particular and like everything I did, um, which is probably something I strayed away from when I was like losing confidence because 
Like it's it's easy to like just get set up, and especially in like the heat of a practice because it doesn't count towards the game. So you can easily like go through the motions and just be like, all right, like chalk it up to a bad day, and then like oh another bad day, um, and then after that you have like a week straight of bad practice, and then you're like all like you don't know what's gonna happen in the game. Um, so then, yeah, the biggest thing with confidence for me was just being able to just celebrate the small things and then like string together good days, and then after that your confidence was my confidence was high, and it was it was a great thing to celebrate. Then being able to see like success on the field was the cherry on top because that just shows like everything you were doing in practice helped out. Yeah, I mean the, the team we're just process, but um, and, and we're we're still like that's been instilled into us this whole year. But I mean, really before you even got here, you you trusted the process and, and did the small things that resulted in your success. But I agree, like. When, when you're experiencing failure, uh, like, I really struggled my freshman year at SNHU, and I had so much failure, and it was the first time I ever had failure. Like, I crushed everybody in Vermont, both sides of the plate, and all of a sudden, I'm experiencing failure, so I thought that I needed to dig myself out by doing this one crazy thing, but really, the, the way to dig myself out was just doing one small thing, and then one small thing, and then going back to how I had success in the past, which was just, like, doing me and not trying to overcompensate for any any specific um, like any specific mechanics or any specific pitch. I, I, I wasn't making the nastiest pitch every pitch. Like I was just committing. I wasn't over committing. I was just doing me. I wasn't trying to be anything but myself. And eventually like because I was successful in the past with that, it just came back when I started doing it again. But that's how I got out of the funk. Like it wasn't it, it wasn't this crazy one specific thing, just like that um, quick fix of uh, velocity. Like it, just because it's, it's this one quick fix thing doesn't it, that, that's not really going to work. I, I honestly have never really experienced a, a quick fix thing in my life. I'm trying to think of like something that actually worked when I did a quick fix, and everything I've done quick fix has just turned to shit. Like later on, like it works in the present, then you're like. Five days later, it's like, damn, bro, like, I didn't do anything. Like, I was just lucky or, or it didn't work out. Um, yeah, I, the next couple things, I, I just want to talk about. I had Griff help me write some of these a long time ago. I actually have the date I wrote these questions, and it was February 17th. And that was the UNC Greensboro, like, the day before UNC Greensboro. And Griff wrote... Um, the difference between summer ball and school ball. And, and I just want some background. I, I want to let everybody know that Pat was the Futures League Pitcher of the Year. Um, he was a back-to-back champ in the Futures League. I believe one was with the Nashua Silver Knights. And then the second one was with the Vermont Lake Monsters, who I'm actually very jealous that he got to play for because he always talks about how packed it was. And I've never got to play on Centennial Field. That's where they played the Vermont State Championships, and I lost in the semifinals over and over. So never got to play there. I'm a little bit pissed off about that, but um, he had a really good year there. And and I just want to, yeah, I mean, you can talk to us about the difference between summer ball. You can even drop your experience in Vermont because I know you love Vermont and uh, talk about your experience. He also played, quick note, he played for the Wareham Gateman in the Cape Cod Baseball League, and he also played for the Hyannis Harbor Hawks for about two weeks um, and was on my team before coming to Northeastern. So I'll, I'll let you take it away from that, with that. Yeah, I mean, um, 
difference between spring and summer bomb is it's a big one for me. Um, I don't know why, but I, I mean, I love spring baseball. I love my college teammates. Um, it's always a great experience, but for some for some unforeseen reason, my spring and summer seasons are inversely related. I would have a my freshman year, I had, I had a good spring. Um, I was fortunate enough to be like one of the guys out of the bullpen. Um, and I had success, and then I was able to carry that into the summer. And then that was about the last good college season I had. Uh, my sophomore year spring was, it was COVID, so it was shortened, but it was probably for the better. I had a, I had a pretty bad start to that year. I think I think as we were talking about it, I, I've only seen success even in college. I had a good freshman year. I had a good freshman summer. So my first... Uh, first outing was against, I don't know if you know the team, East Strasburg in the, the PSAC in Division Two. I've heard of them, never played them, no, but I know the PSAC is a great conference because we played like, we played Westchester, I think they're in there, like Slippery Rock, um, Shippensburg. Yeah, it's like, that's a good conference, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so we, I, I knew nothing about them. It was just one of those random, you know, weekends beginning of the year. Uh, we were playing in like North Carolina. So I, I didn't know anything about him. I was like the number two pitcher as a sophomore. So I thought I was, I mean, I, yeah, I thought I was the man because I was like, oh, like I'm the guy on campus. And then I, I got lit up the first week. Um, I probably walked like five guys over three innings that I pitched. Um, and I, I just chalked it up to like maybe they were pretty good hitters. And then the next week it was the same, same deal. I was just walking a lot of guys getting really frustrated because I, I thought I was putting in all this work and then. It was just not, it wasn't working out. Um, and then I didn't help myself because I just, I kept getting frustrated and kept like, kept that like bad ball rolling we were talking about. It just, I didn't put a stop to it. Um, I just kept it going and just every bullpen I threw, I like video of my bullpens from that year. Like every pitch I didn't make, I was like throwing my head back and like yeah. throwing my arms out, like getting mad at myself. Um, so I just didn't stop it. Uh, honestly, luckily COVID happened. So I was able to shut it down and just like, Really like take a step back, um, and then I had a good summer. Yep. Um, we were able to win the championship that year. Griff was on the team, all, all CBL team guy right there. Um, and then I carried that into the. We had another, it was another COVID shortened year in twenty one, um, but I was a junior, and then that I was a junior, and uh, I was out of the bullpen that year. But we were. I tried to like form an identity I wasn't at the time. Like I tried to be like that like psycho closer who like came in and just like blew fastballs by them. Um, so I, I had little struggles there and then I don't know, my springs were not very good. And that well. Felt similar like similar and, and it's a, it's not just you. Like I was talking to Brett uh, Dunham who's a sophomore pitcher on Northeastern, but I was talking to him when I was doing his podcast, but he said the exact same thing. And I have an idea, but do you do you think that there's a certain reason why the school ball was was better than summer ball? And if you don't have an idea, I can get mine. But it's I've been thinking about this for a few years, and I don't really know. Like, it's hard to like pinpoint the one thing because like my intent, like my whole career was like the same. Like I still put in the same effort whether it was spring or summer. I just always saw better success in the summer. So I don't, I, my teammates' assumption would always bring it up to, uh, 
warm weather and wood baths were the only reason I was successful because um, I would pitch well in Florida and then we would come up back north when it was cold and I would not pitch well. Um, I don't think that's correct, but that was their one excuse for why I was unsuccessful sometimes in the spring. Yeah, I, I think like my opinion on this is when we go to summer ball, like I would do it, I would go back to my hometown, so I was obviously comfortable there. I pitched on the mound since I was a since I was a junior in high school. I don't think that that really had anything to do with why I was being successful. I think that more emotionally, like I was, I didn't have the the fear of failure and the the fear of yeah the fear of failing and the fear of losing it for my team like no whenever whenever you're doing summer ball everyone's having fun and, and it's like such a relaxed fun environment and i i've thrived in that and i felt like not that when i went back to either babson or northeastern the only reason i have like the change in performance is because of the things that i was telling myself it wasn't any external things that were actually different because it was the same game whether it was the summer or the the spring it was just a different mindset that i had like in the summer i was trying to have fun and, and just do me and be nasty and like learn when i would come back i would put pressure on myself to be perfect and i would put pressure on myself that these games actually matter but all the games matter the the same amount it's just the way we perceive them so that's kind of my my opinion on that i don't know if, if you felt the same or different or yeah, I honestly agree with that. Probably, I mean, anyone who plays like summer ball in college, you know that it's very relaxed atmosphere, yeah. even at any level. Whether it was in the futures league I played in, the NECBL or the Cape, it's it's all the same game. I mean, it's everyone's so relaxed in the summer. So that maybe that was one thing where I thrived in, like the thought of like just being relaxed and knowing that if I like if I failed and I got shelled, like I'm coming back to like. A bullpen is like just like cracking jokes and probably 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 making fun about yeah. and then it's it's Absolutely. over. It doesn't really matter. Um, like I'm probably laughing the whole time. Um, whereas here, uh, it, it's probably I mean we care we care so much. You know? Maybe sometimes it gets in your head about, about the fear of failing, like you said. It could definitely be a good part. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have about 15 minutes until I got to be back in my room because we have room. Not room check, but we got to be back in the room at uh, 10. But wrapping up, I just wanted to talk about books. I actually did a podcast on books the other day. And I went into your room in your apartment in Boston and you had a bookshelf. And I took a picture and wrote those down on my book list for the ones that I hadn't read. But there were also a lot that I had read um, that we had we had similar book um, preferences, I guess you could say, or... Um, our algorithms on social media pointed us to the same books. But what do you think books bring to baseball? Like, how can we implement them in baseball and in life? And how do they affect performance? Because I feel like it's a, like a, not a secret ingredient, but I feel like it's a downplayed piece of knowledge or Re- downplayed resource that I wasn't benefiting from until my senior year and just I think that in general 
it's a, it's a crazy downplayed like resource and not underrated. And, and I haven't used enough. So can you talk about your relationship to books and how they help you in both and all facets of life? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely downplayed. I mean, I'm not the like the biggest reader in terms of like I'm reading a hundred pages a day. Um, I get I get it in when I can. I think you definitely go through phases, but um, yeah, in terms of like the book, in terms of like baseball wise and even like like anything like mindset wise, that was like the biggest reason why I got um, like into reading was actually for like baseball mindset because. Me and uh, one of my best friends from home, like, we got, like, obviously as pitchers and, like, as the people, like, we kind of are, like, you, if it was, like, possible, you would rip, like, 100 pitches every single day, like, off the mound, just to, like, be able to, like, know exactly what a good yeah. baseball feels like, how to get to, like, each spot with each pitch. But physically, that's just, that's just not going to happen. You can't do that without, um, without injury. So I was kind of on a blockade of, I want to... I still want to, like, improve myself for, like, performance, especially in baseball. Um, so the whole thing with books just started from that. I was like, all right, if I can't improve, like, like I got my, like, I got my lifting in, like, I got my throwing in. So, like, I can't, I can't throw anymore or else I'm going to put myself at risk of injury. So what can I do to maybe, like, give myself just any type of advantage? And I was like, what if I try to improve my, like, my mental, my mental strength, my mental, like, capacity for the game? Um, so that's when I really started reading. I think the first book I read was Relentless by Tim Grover, which is a great, it's a, it's such a, it's an easy book to read. Unbelievable. I mean, both of his books are unbelievable, but yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great starting point to just like hone in with baseball. Um, so I went from there, I fell in love with that book and then I just, I kept on going with like the different, like David Goggins books, obviously. Um, and then a bunch of bunch of other ones that were maybe not just like sport related but also like mindset related like i know you've been reading the unbeatable mind by mark divine yeah which is a great book again but that's more about just that wasn't even like baseball right? oh, it's just yeah it's just life yeah more life and philosophy related which is something that i've um i wanted to do started it with baseball to be able to like have a mental strength um which yeah mental strength base and then just i kind of I, I enjoyed doing it so i figured uh, why not just try and carry it into my entire life? Yeah, I think an advice for people who are maybe haven't got into reading your books is start with something that you like and is an individual preference. But then you can, like, once you read one book, you can start to, bit, like, work your way out into different fields. Like, I, I started with mindset books, but now I'm kind of into, like, um, like the psychology of money is one of the books that I want to read. Like on my book list, there's so many different ones that are like, just like about the universe or about life or about different aspects of life that I think you can use the, the preference that you start with and then just work your way out and, and widen your base from there. And as we're talking about like performance enhancers, legal ones, because <laughs> you know, we're not going to push it, push agenda on anything else, but uh, I want to talk about recovery, and that's also a performance enhancer that might also be slept on, especially for me when I was in college. I didn't have a good recovery um, process. I didn't have a good recovery um, plan, and I was always sore. I was always just not ready to go the next day after a hard workout or something, but I know that you have red light at your department, and maybe you can talk a little bit about red light 
and you don't have to go in depth if, if you don't know the science behind it, but if you do, you can share that because that's something that I want to get into too. Um, and maybe talk about red light or your recovery a little bit. Yeah. Um, I forget a little bit about the science, but I know, I know like the idea of it is that like the red light therapy is just something that it, it's just, this is a light panel. Um, I don't know, it's not too big. Um, so it has like the red light that has like the infrared, um, waves that go in your body and usually it helps like speed up recovery process, which is the, the basic idea of it. I think it ends up like warming up your cells to like just speed up the recovery on that one area that's like lit. Um, and it was one thing I got into, I really like started learning about it my senior year of college. Uh, one of my teammates was like very into it and then showed me it and like we both got, like I got into it because I was like, this, this seems pretty good. I mean, I enjoyed it uh, both times I did with him. So then from there I was like, oh, I'll get, I'll get my own panel. Um, so I had that and I use it. I use it uh, mostly right now when I like whenever I throw heavy or if I have like a sore workout. Like I know beginning of um, beginning of the year I like have like a really sore like trap area, so I always put the red light on there trying to speed up that process. <laughs> whenever I throw or like do something heavy, I'll just like lay my arm on it just to try and speed up anything. Um, so I think it's I've seen I've seen uh, recovery pretty well. I feel like I've recovered well with it. And I, I enjoy using it so. Well, that's all I really got for baseball life and recovery. Now we'll just get into kind of the more fun, um, personal questions. Not too personal, but um, I just want to know your favorite thing to do, like, while traveling other than baseball. Favorite thing about the traveling process in baseball other than obviously playing the games and practice. Like, something outside of baseball that you enjoy when we travel on trips like this. I guess, there, I guess there's two. I mean, obviously, I think being, like, an older kid and like traveling with like teams i think really try to like just take in like the actual travel part like being in the airport with everybody being like just being around everybody in those like those kind of niche like settings yeah because being with the whole group in an airport so fun. yeah i've been trying to not let it get um like too big on me like just like taking in that smaller thing um but then in terms of not just like that travel area one one thing i've really enjoyed whenever we travel is like the daily like morning walk around like um, a new area. Yeah, that's yeah. Like although we're probably walking around different parking lots of different strip malls or something, it's still it's. I've always found it really cool just like look at the different um the different like scenery that's around like just see like how different locations are. Like right now we're in North Carolina and I mean I've never lived in anything southern. I've never lived anywhere other than New Hampshire. Yeah. So just seeing it, like walking around this different locations is always it's always cool to see like if I could live here, like, whether or not, like, it's conducive to something I would like or not, it's always, always really cool, so that's probably my favorite part. Okay. And I didn't write this one, so don't get mad at me for this one. <laughs> I'm not going to give any context behind this, but Griff wrote best idea, or best first date idea, and I'm actually kind of curious, too, and then he wrote slash tennis or something. So, I, I don't know if you're, uh, can you expand on Griff's question. And yeah, I know. I don't know if Griff remembers this. Um, well, tennis is its a lot of fun. Me and Griff have talked about tennis a little while ago. Um, it's one sport that is very interesting because I guess as a first date, it is a great 
is a great sport because it's a great equalizer for many people. Like, I'm not a great tennis player. Um, I never played it yeah. in, in high school or anything. or even I never went to a camp for it. Um, so I really know nothing about tennis. Um, and then the odds are that other people don't know anything about tennis. So trying to just hit the ball back and forth um, is, is a lot of fun. And then if it's on a first date, you're getting to know someone. It's probably a good way to break some awkward tension. Uh, I think it's definitely a good good thing. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm an active person. So being able to, like, do something rather than just sitting down and maybe get 100%. I mean, we're not, especially if you're an active person, you're probably going to have a deeper connection with that person if they're active too. So, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to get too deep into that, but yeah, go ahead. All right, now the rapid fire questions, and then I'm getting back to my room. Um, favorite book? Oh, it's got to be Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. That one was, I read it so fast, and it was during finals period, one of my college years, so that one was amazing. Yeah, that's a good one. Go check it out. David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. Favorite memory from baseball and outside of baseball, if you have one outside of baseball? Um, from baseball, it's, it's probably uh, winning the Futures League Championship in 2021. Just yeah. because I was able to the, the Vermont summer. Vermont, yeah, that's just because that was probably one of my favorite summers I've had. Um, so just counting off of the championship was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Uh, outside of baseball, it's probably going to be like one time, probably when I went to like Colorado to ski. It was just, it was amazing. It was. Great snow, and then it was yeah, that was that was awesome. That's, that felt something out of like a dream. Uh, yeah. Have you ever been? Have you ever been in flow state? Describe it. Um, I think, I think there may have been two times I've probably been in flow state. One was actually probably what I just said was in the Futures League Championship when I started Game Three. Um, because I wasn't really supposed to pitch that game. Like I threw in the semis. Uh, like game two of the semis, um, through like whatever, like 100, 105 pitches, um, was done. Like ineligible to pitch for the rest of the tournament or the rest of the series. Um, my coach even like pulled me aside and said, hey, like great season, like, like good way like to finish out the year, like all this stuff. And I was like, all right, I'm done. And then my coach was like, you're shut down for the fall. So like, you know, like, he's like, you're done throwing, like, like just stop. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll stay around for like the next like for the championship series, but like I'm shut down. Um, so I was shut down for like two days, um, didn't throw, and then in the championship series we lost game one. Game two happened. Uh, we were away in game two, and then I was like, I was messing with the coach. I was like, hey, the next like the schedule of game three was. Uh, one day and I wasn't eligible to throw. I was eligible to throw the next day. I was like, hey, if we were rain out, coach, I just want to let you know I can't throw. I'm messing around. There's no chance of rain. Yeah. But I was like, I, I was like, I want to let you know I can throw. Like, I want the ball. And then he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, the game two happens. We're winning. Like, we're gonna easily win. There's a huge rain forecast in Vermont that night, and they're like, all right, we're just gonna cancel the game anyway. So our coach like pulls me aside mid game. Of game two, I was like, hey, he's like, would you throw, like, a bullpen this day? And I was like, yeah, like, I probably would. He's like, hey, like, go throw a bullpen. So I was like, all right. So I threw my bullpen. And then he's like, all right, game's canceled. Like, you got the ball game three, like, for the championship. And I was like, oh, man. And I was like, and then from 
the beginning of that game, like I was on like three days of rest or whatever. Beginning of that game, I, I don't I don't really remember anything from it. Like I I couldn't tell you like my stat line or like who was even probably catching me at that point. Like no. I, I probably just blacked out and I was there, so locked in. Um, then the other the other time I was probably in flow state was probably when I had like um I was hitting like my PR for deadlift one day. Like it was like I was like so like I mean I had like like with any PR, like you gotta be like focused and be able to hit it. And I was like so like locked in because it was like it was number I wanted to hit and like we were all like amped up for it. I just hit like another one beforehand. But then like this one, like I just went on like I remember like going to the bar and like once I like got to the bar and like grabbed my hands with my like wrist wraps to grab the weight, I like lifting it, pl- putting it down, I don't know what song I was playing. I don't I don't know anything that happened. It didn't feel like anything when I lifted it, just up, down and then Yeah. So those are probably the only two times. But what is something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow? And I know you do a lot of uncomfortable stuff anyways, but is there anything specifically in the past or, or sorry, in in recent times that you're like, that's really uncomfortable to me, so I want to do it. Like, it doesn't have to be physically, it could be like emotionally too or whatever. Yeah, I think one thing that's uh, definitely going to be uncomfortable is right now, if if baseball ends uh, this this spring or anything is being able to go into like the uh, the professional world, which is something. I mean, I play baseball every summer, so I don't I don't have any really internship experience. I was lucky enough to have have a job at least yep. uh, for uh, after after baseball. But going into that actual world is something that you know it's 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 just unknown. So I don't know what it's going to be like. So yep. I think. One thing uncomfortable, I guess that is uncomfortable, but trying to get prepped and be like work on different skills that maybe I don't, I don't really have right now. Um, work on those skills and just not be afraid to like be bad at them because from baseball, like we're we're obviously very like polished compared to like when we were in high school. So that thought of like truly being bad at something is. It's an interesting idea, and you know, it's something I haven't really had. So, being able to do that and just just know that it's going to be uncomfortable, but being able to work through it is something I, I guess I look forward to. But I know it's definitely not going to be it's not going to be fun. It's going to be tough. That's right, a good one. Most valued non-material possession. Non-material. Um, oh, definitely. When I went to Machu Picchu, I took a rock from the tallest mountain. That we hiked, like it was a peak of, it was taller than Machu Picchu, so we walked down Machu Picchu, but we hiked above Machu Picchu, and I took a rock from one of the, like, from the top, and I just kept it, so definitely that one. Something you often forget you're grateful for? My family. Okay. Yeah, that's that's been a, a pretty common one for most of the guys on this podcast. Last one, advice to your five year old self. Um, my five-year-old self, probably just to, like, have fun, like, I think, especially when I was younger, yeah, probably more when I was, like, 11 to 12, I just, I took baseball, like, way too serious, I would get very down, I feel like I would get out, even though it's a game of failure, I think I didn't really accept that, um, so just to, like, just to have fun and, like, 
be like be okay with getting out. Like don't don't take every at bat so seriously. So in terms of like baseball, I need them like everything. Just have fun and relax. You're gonna be everything's gonna be okay. You don't have to stress about that. Yeah. Everything will work out the way it's supposed to, not the way you might want it to, but the way it needs to be done in order to get you to where you want to go. So. Yeah, that's all I got for today's podcast. I appreciate you being on. And is there any last comments or words that you want to say or anything you want to get out before we leave? Um, I just got to say, uh, you know, thank you for having me on. It's been good to see your journey with this podcast, see you build it, stay consistent. It's been great. It's been awesome, man. Griff, do you have uh, any words you want to share or should we? uh... Oh, I have one last thing, actually, that I have to say. Um. I don't have a, I don't have a say in this because I did not go to Babson or Whedon, but I think there was a playoff game today that did happen, and Griff's been really getting on Jory about their uh, their whole season. So I think there's a sweep involved with Whedon and Babson, but there's a different result today in the in the playoffs. So Griff's taking the mic. All I gotta say is that there's two tomorrow. I trust the Lions. Thanks. Very similar situation to Griff and I's senior year when I think Griff told me that it was Wheaton's plan to lose the first game so that they would win the second two. So if it's a crazy plan, but it paid off for him. So we'll see if it happens again tomorrow. But best of luck to both teams. And that's how on this podcast today. See you guys later.